Welcome to Vita Readings. Live from the basement. This is Danielle. This is Max. I'm an author and professor. I was a knight so bold whose heart grew old in his search for El Dorado. Now, stay at home dad. <laughs> I, I didn't expect that one. I know. <laughs> We're a married couple who discuss literature in our basement while our children are sleeping. And the boys are now asleep. So let's talk. Yes. So for a long time, um, I have been wanting to do a poem from Kavayak Bars, Calling a Wolf a Wolf. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> we tried in an earlier show, and the show was terrible. Mm. Well, it wasn't like the, the, the poem that you gave us last time from Kavayak Bar was astounding. Oh, it was a We terrific. just weren't good. Yeah, we just messed it up. Um, we couldn't. I, I think I was thinking about it today, what the problem was. And the last time that we spoke, we spoke about a poem. And I think almost all of the conversation surrounding the poem had to do with addiction. Mm. And I think that that is a problem. And that was the problem with the show, mm -hmm. because what Kaveh Akbar does so beautifully in the book is uh, he weaves together this sort of charismatic multiplicity of identities, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, he could write an entire book about being Iranian-American mm -hmm. and being a, uh, an immigrant. Mm -hmm. um, he was born in Tehran, mm -hmm. um, but he primarily grew up here. But that could be a whole book in of itself, mm -hmm. right? And he could write a book about being uh, an alcoholic. And he could write a book about being in this particular political climate, being a millennial who's Muslim. There's all kinds of things that he could he could write about. He decides to write about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing I think that makes this book so relatable in mm -hmm. some ways. And relatable is sort of an odd way to, is a strange thing to say, because obviously, like, I don't occupy the spaces. Uh, I, I don't I occupy the identity um, markers that, that I just named, mm -hmm. right? But because he has made the speaker of this book, which I don't want to confuse entirely with Akbar himself, mm -hmm. since, you know, it is an aesthetic representation. I think it's, I, I was reading some um, interviews with him earlier, and he was saying himself that the speaker was a, a sort of fictional representation mm -hmm. throughout the book, but that the all of the emotional experiences and the actual authenticity of what he himself experienced went into the poems, mm -hmm. right? But in order to create a collection that sort of reads as a narrative of recovery, he needed there to be some fictional license. Mm -hmm. He might also just be covering himself because he doesn't want to get brought low by Oprah a la... <laughs> A thousand, or what is that, a million tiny pieces? A million little pieces? The guy who fictionalized his uh, addiction and recovery. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Everybody kind of learned the lesson. Don't bring down the wrath of Oprah. <laughs> um, hopefully he's on Oprah's radar. I hope that he is. This, um, <laughs> uh, the, the last poem you showed me by him was astounding. Yeah, it's beautiful. But yeah, I think the problem with the last conversation is that it, it got really hooked up on... Um, on talking about addiction and then addiction in, in literature and, and thinking through that. And I think that we didn't, we didn't delve uh, deep enough into the poem itself and the way that it displays uh, a multitude of identities mm -hmm. and this kind of collection. It, it just feels what I, when I say it's relatable and it seems authentic is that it feels like a real person. Mm-hmm ultimately, right? A real person with all of their complexities yeah. and their guilt and their 
beauties and their hungers, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, why this book has been so successful, is I think it really speaks to the heart. Mm -hmm. This particular book. How many books does he have? This is his one full collection. Well, you said millennial earlier, so he's... He's on the younger side, mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> he's younger than us. I can yeah, say that you for just sure. Said but millennial. Like, that's enough. Yeah. He's younger than us. Yeah. I'm not sure uh, of his age, but he's accomplished a lot in having a book that is this widely loved. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's accomplished a lot anyway. Right. And the mere fact that he has come back from addiction and alcoholism to write a book like this mm -hmm. is astonishing. Right. He has this one full length collection calling a wolf a wolf. Uh, from Alice James Press, and he also has a portrait of an alcoholic, or portrait of the alcoholic, excuse me, by Sibling Rivalry Press. Hmm. And those both came out in 2017. He's won all kinds of other awards, you know, the Ruth Lilly and Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Poetry Fellowship. That sounds familiar. Who do we know that won that? <laughs> me. Oh, so I'm like, don't look at me. Oh, you won it. Okay. You gave me... Okay. I was thinking maybe another... Okay. Sorry. I no. love you, you accomplished woman. It was a slightly different thing uh, back when I won it. Um, it has now been rolled up into this grand um, fellowship uh, okay. with, with, along with the Ruth, Ruth Lilly Fellowship. When I won it, it was, it was a sort of a different gig, but uh, still saved me three summers in a row. But uh, but yeah, he was born in Tehran, and he's currently a professor in the MFA program at Purdue University. You said to me uh, when we got off the phone uh, earlier today, when I was trying to think of what show to do, <laughs> you're like, maybe uh, maybe a poem about exhaustion? Yeah. So I was thinking toward this uh, idea of exhaustion, but this particular poem I wanted us to just dig into, and in thinking toward exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking toward being at the end of something. Mm -hmm. Um I was drawn more to this poem uh this time. Um it's not it's not necessarily a poem about exhaustion, but it is I mean accumulated fatigue is exhaustion, isn't it? That'll work. <laughs> uh let's just dive into it and get into this like delicious, terrible, beautiful I can get to a little bit more about why when I thought of exhaustion, I thought of this one. But I want us to actually stick with the poem um, a little closer this time instead of going off. Before we do that, if you want to read along with the poem, go to our website, vitareadings.com. Click on show notes tab along the top and scroll to the title of the poem's name. The most recent show is always on top. I have a cold. Portrait of the Alcoholic Floating in Space with Severed Umbilicus by Kavi Akbar In Fort Wayne, I drank the seniors, Old Milwaukee, Old Crow. In Indianapolis, I stopped. Now I regret every drink I never took. All around, coffee grounds and eggshells, the sweating a mouthful of lime. As a boy, I stole a mint green bra from a laundromat. I took it home to try on while my parents slept, filled its cups with the smallest turnips in our pantry. The underwire grew into me like a strangler fig. My blood roiled then, as now. Back on earth, 
Frog spit is dripping down wild aloe spikes. Salmon are bullying their way upstream. There is a pond I leapt into once with a lonely blonde boy. When we scampered out, one of us was in love. I could not be held responsible for desire. He could not be held at all. I wonder where he is now. If he looked up, he might see me, a sparkling. I always hoped that when I died, I would know why. My brother will be so sad. He will tell his daughter I was better than I was. He will leave out my cruel drunk nights, the wet mattresses, my driving alone into cornfields, unsure whether I'd drive out. I wish he were here now. He could be here. This cave is big enough for everyone. Look at all the diamonds. I'll have questions. Okay. Um, <clears throat> immediately loving it. Okay. What the about it? You... question mark. <laughs> what about it? Do you immediately love? Well, subject matter. Yeah, I know. I knew that you would love it. Any anything with any any hint of self destruction. I know you love it. It's the goth in me and See? the punk. It 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 appeals to me. It also probably appeals to the drinker in you. Yes. It starts with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Old. The seniors. So he drank the old Milwaukee. Old Crow. Yeah. And the, oh, my God. He liked the bad stuff. <laughs> I just put like Natty Bow and Black Velvet on here. But. Um, I, okay. I, subject matter. Uh, destruction. Self-destruction. Yeah, yeah. You okay. like that. Okay. But, what else? I, I guess it's going to start getting. I don't know if you want to start talking first because I'm going to have questions as we work our way down. Well, I can, I can, let's take us, I'll take you through. Okay. Well, first question is, there's no periods, but there are tabs or spaces. Like they look like they're a five letter space all over this. Beautiful thing to notice. Well, it's kind of glaring, but. Yeah. Well, it's not. um, Okay. So um, he's using the Sejura. Sejura. We we did talk about this. Yeah. Sejura is um, a small bit of white space on Mm -hmm. the page, usually in the middle of the line where you would normally see a comma or a period or a dash. Um, But here it's just a kind of blank. And that creates um, a a different visual effect uh, than the punctuation. So one of the things I like about the visual effect of the Sejura in this particular poem is that if you're looking at it, it sort of looks like there's a um, there's a ravine, yeah, in the middle of the poem that's right. sort of jagged, right? Um, like uh, some down the kind length of, of the poem, yeah. right? It's sort of like a space that you could fall into, but it also looks a slightly sort of chaotic, like like a, a shatter of stars. Mm-hmm. And since the entire poem is framed by the title, "Portrait of the Alcoholic Floating in Space." with severed umbilicus. So this this sort of visual space he's he's created here is a kind of field that that looks like the words are floating disconnected from one another. They work as stars in space. 
I see it as something that somebody could fall down, like you said in Ravine, mm-hmm. but because it's so jagged and slides left and right that the people are like, ooh, ow, ooh, ow, ooh, ow, ooh, ow, <laughs> like some cartoon <laughs> falling down. Like, ooh, ow, ooh. Oh, that's what, okay, so you, you see that kind of like vertical I see uh, like a Tex Avery or old like a Looney Tunes cartoon of somebody just bouncing down the center of this Oh, uh, see, I'm, I'm looking, because I could also see this the either side of the palm as like the cliff's edge mm. and that middle part as a like, as like if you were looking on it head on down right that you're looking directly down into the grand canyon <laughs> or some other trench like space that you probably couldn't couldn't necessarily um, climb back up on now i think it, it might be useful to think of this palm actually where it is located in the collection mm-hmm. so it's actually in the final section okay it, it starts off the final section and you said this book was about recovery mm-hmm. yeah so it starts off with him and when i say him i mean the speaker the this, speaker this okay. aestheticized representation of akbar and or his experiences rather so the speaker of this who has all of akbar's identity markers begins in a really bad space <laughs> there are these portraits of the alcoholic portrait of the alcoholic throughout the manuscript Mm -hmm. and they sort of evolve as it goes on the very first one is portrait of the alcoholic with home invader and housefly (laughs) and that one's gnarly yeah that'll Um, pull you in it's it's a beautiful poem and it's also terrible Mm -hmm. i mean terrible in what's happening beautiful in the way that it's written and and as it goes on each of these portraits of the alcoholic as you read through the book collect into a kind of story about recovery mm-hmm. that first one he's bad he's bad off yeah. um he's very very drunk in the poem so much so that he doesn't notice uh that somebody has broken into where he is and and put a knife <sighs> near his face as it goes on he gets better beginning with calling a wolf a wolf which is the titular palm mm-hmm. um sorry calling a wolf a wolf inpatient Oh, I was going to say, there's somebody right. admitting, like, let's, let's see what, let's call the situation what it is. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly it. Once he admits what's happening, um, then, of course, there's all of the pain and tribulations of, of recovery, yeah. of coming to the realization of everything that you did to everybody you love, um, but also just the, the terrible physical and emotional pain of, of recovery itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah relearning how to live your life mm-hmm. um so this this particular poem comes in the third section so he's pretty far along mm-hmm. at this point in the book and he's beginning to sort of think about larger things well like he thinks about things larger things a lot but you know one of the poems in here is named god in some ways i see this poem uh, about the way that it's set out in the manuscript or the book rather that it i mean i have a couple of questions about it myself This third section is about perspective, I think, gaining a wider perspective of one's self and where one fits in. If you're trying to reconstruct your life or relearn how to live it. Or your own narrative. Exactly. um, That you need to understand everything, right? And so this poem, I think, starting off floating in space, Mm. sort of looking at one's self, portrait of the alcoholic floating in space with severed umbilicus. (sighs) We, Such a good... it's an amazing title. Yeah, <laughs> yeah wow, it's, it's really good. <laughs> um, okay, I'm sorry. So we have these sejuras, 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 sejuras. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first line, well, throughout, 
and we take them as a meaningful pause, as a, as a, yes. maybe a, a person collecting what their next word will be, or yeah, you could think of it that way. Um, it allows for more space where punctuation wouldn't fit in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you take a line like um, one, two, three, four, the fourth line, and eggshells, sejura, the sweating, sejura, a mouthful, line break of lime, mm. right? So normally you would say, you know, coffee grounds and eggshells, maybe comma, the sweating, comma, a mouthful of lime. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have the sejuras there, it, it adds a little bit of pause. And therefore, one could think of it as drama, but it does more enact somebody thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? When we think we don't, we don't usually string together beautifully constructed sentences. At least I don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it does to a certain extent allow a poem to be constructed in a way that mimics the act of thinking. Mm-hmm. While we go through the poem, consider that kick-ass title. Okay. It's going to be in the background. You have to sort of imagine a dude floating in space uh, while he's thinking about all of these things that he's saying. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you keep that as the scene. Yeah. The scene, the the main image from which everything else is spoken. Yeah. Mouthful of lime. And then we jump from lime to as a boy, I stole a mint green bra. So he's talking, he's thinking about a taste, a sensation, and he jumps to a child memory from the collar of that sensation. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, so there, yeah, it, it, there's these beautiful associative leaps that happen um, between these little spaces, these sejuras. And this is always the way that um, palms that are fragmented work to a certain extent. I mean, you look at this and you're like, oh, this is fragmented. Like it doesn't look like it's of a whole, right. right? It doesn't look sensibly arranged in any particular way. And so it indicates here that uh, the speaker is themselves fragmented in some way. And so the question is always how. And sometimes the speaker is fragmented. Sometimes um, other things are. But here, since it is portrait of the, we kind of assume that the character that is being created here has a certain fragmentation to their mind. In Fort Wayne, I drank the seniors, old Milwaukee, old Crow. In Indianapolis, I stopped. Sejura. Now I regret every drink I never took. All around, coffee grounds and eggshells. Okay, I really love this image here, the coffee grounds and eggshells. What do you think of? I just associate coffee with AA meetings. Oh, really? Yeah, chugging through the coffee, but also that you have in your compost heap, in ours, coffee grounds and eggshells. That's the first <laughs> thing that comes into mind. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, uh, walking on eggshells. So it's a fragile situation. Just read a response coming right. to this. Somebody sitting in an AA meeting, sipping their coffee and watching their words or weighing their words. Oh, interesting. Or their so situation. You, so you went straight, straight to a, a, a scene in your head. Yeah. Yeah, I was sticking actually just with the, which is just with the image. So coffee grounds 
um, of course, is what's left over when you've made the coffee. So it's something that's been used up. Mm-hmm. And eggshells are the same way. Oh, you've good. taken all of the nutrients and goodness out of them, and and These they are, are the refuse. Yeah. Yes, they are the, he- oh, the the refuse. The, the husks is better. of what it is. But the other reason I like it is so if this is an alcoholic floating in space. Coffee grounds is sort of the dark space around, and eggshells are kind of a shattered light. Mm-hmm. Things used up. The sweating. A mouthful of lime, which I like that because your mouth does sort of like fill up with saliva, like your mouth sweats when you put something sour into mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. right? A mouthful of lime, and then the associative leap. As a boy, I stole a mint green bra. Wow. Right? Um, so this body sweating, it's filling your mouth up as if as if salivating, mm-hmm. right? And then I stole this mint green bra. So now this idea of salivating or desiring or hungering or thirsting in some way is connected to the mint green of that bra mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, from a laundromat. I took it home to try it on while my parents slept, filled its cup with the smallest turnips in our pantry again food yeah some item but also you know boob shaped (laughs) (laughs) you know parents are sleeping so obviously people would not be cool with this there's a sense of shame attached right totally um that there's and but still there's something about it that feels to me very innocent well, so it's still very childlike. It is still very, you know, yeah, or at least exploratory. Yeah. Like, like the speaker doesn't say how old he was when it did, but if he went to, he he's old enough to leave the house mm-hmm. and steal a bra. Yeah. Right. Um, so two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Miles has stole tons of bras now. I've caught him down on, on that center street so often. <laughs> Um, but old enough to do that. So I'm thinking like early adolescence. I'm thinking yeah. like maybe like 13 to 14 to something like that. Um, and fill its cup with the smallest turnips in our pantry. The underwire grew into me like a strangler fig. Now, my question there was it grew. Mm-hmm. Did the speaker return to this bra often and put it on? That's what it sounds like. Right? He's right. like over the years trying right. the bra on, I mean, sizing himself in a mirror, kind of posing. I can see that over the right. years with this one bra. That's what it seems like. The underwire this, grew into me like a strangler fig. So it becomes a fetish. A fet- I mean, I, and I mean a fetished item. Like, right. Like not a sexual fetish. Right. But a fetish, fetished item. Yeah. Right. Um, a, a secret desired right. item. And which, it's returned to. It's a part of a ritual now. Right. That's what if we're reading this right. Yeah, okay. I think that you're I think that you're right. The underwire grew into me like a strangler fig. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, going right into that next thought. My blood roiled then as now. And I love that the blood roiled also sort of goes back to the mouth filling up. Mm-hmm. Right? The mouth sweating. And also what happens to your blood if you're exposed to deep space, the vacuum of space. (laughs) I hadn't hadn't (laughs) thought of that. I hadn't thought of that at all. My blood roiled then as now. Oh, I hadn't even, I didn't even think of that. That's great. And then back on earth, Earth. frog spit is dripping down wild aloe spikes. Yeah. And you'll see that I, I lined next to that, the frog spit, the aloe spikes, I, I'll ask you about, but the 
the sickness when you have a hard sickness. Yeah. The what comes out as you, as your mouth is hanging gape is that froth that you see around frogs oh, laying eggs. That's why when right. he said frogs, uh, uh, the the frog frog spit frog spit. I'm like, oh god, that foamy frog spit. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. When you're real booze sick. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I mean, I thought that he was just connecting us back down to to Earth via that green motif because that's it, that's the absolute, only color yeah. that's been throughout, right? Lime, mint. Frog spit. Oh, good. I mean, well, the frog is green, but the spit, yeah. But then also aloe spikes, also Mm, green, right? Like there's a contrast between um, the vacuum of space uh, where he is the only living thing, Mm -hmm. right? And then these um, moments and memories of of living. Even turnips are a little bit green. Hmm. They're white-ish, but they're usually green uh, around it. Uh, my blood roiled then as now. Back on earth, frog spit is dripping down wild aloe spikes. Salmon are bullying their way upstream, which is, I think, Just an amazing a way. Just to... stomach. <laughs> yeah, well, it's an amazing, like, it, it, there's also this idea of perspective, right? I'm up here and I can see everything now. Mm. I'm noticing the frog spit dripping down aloe shoots. I'm noticing the salmon, how they're like rushing and rushing and trying to get back home in order to mate. That's what that scene is, right? Like that's what the, that's what the, the salmon are doing. They're, they're swimming upstream. And what, and what do they do after they spawn? They die. (laughs) (laughs) The salmon are bullying their way upstream. (laughs) To go to basically fucking die. Yes. And then we leap into another associative leap. Wow. Yeah. There is a pond I leapt into once with a lonely blonde boy. When we scampered out, one of us was in love. (laughs) I could not be held responsible for desire. He could not be held at all. Boom. And that's, you see, my big, my biggest checkpoint on my paper when you read that. (laughs) Wow. I know. It's so beautiful. I love, I love how quickly he jumps into the scene. (sighs) And then how quickly he gets out of it. And it's such a beautiful scene of desire, right? And there are all kinds of, um, you know, illusions that one could could make. I mean, I immediately think of the boys bathing in um, Walt Whitman's uh, Leaves of Grass. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but there's there's something about these these boys where there's like we innocently leapt, leapt into this pond together. When we scampered out, one of us was in love. Oh. I could not be held responsible. Okay, this is this is something I love. This line, it's it's a very straightforward line, but I could not be held responsible with a seizure before and a line break after. after. I couldn't be held responsible for my feelings. Of course, is what's being here, but also in 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 thinking through the idea of responsibility, mm-hmm. um, and thinking about this poem as the beginning of the last section of this book. And coming to terms with responsibility for all kinds of things. And things right? you need to account for yes. when you're going through the steps in the program. Right. So I could not be held responsible, line break, for desire. Yeah. Which is true. You can't. And absolving, <laughs> absolving whatever yeah. whatever trauma and guilt. I'm thinking. Or whatever sadness he felt from it. Like maybe there wasn't trauma and then maybe there wasn't guilt, but maybe it was just like. The trauma of the guilt, though, of, of, of being. A millennial, it's not as bad, but I would imagine trying to, just trying to come to grips with being gay in a country 
that's hostile to it and maybe a religious faith that's also hostile oh, to it. Oh, he's in America by now. That's what I mean. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he's in Indiana. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, he's not. But we we were placed in Indiana in right. the first two lines. So oh, okay. I, I carry that with right. me. But As a, a young, kind of landscape. Yeah. A mm. young man. Right. Having a sexual awakening. He's like, ooh, the people around me are really not cool with this. Yeah. On top of everything else that makes me an outsider. Right. Yeah, totally. And it's also just beautiful. <laughs> I love that. They, I love that they jumped in this pond. They came out and one of the boys was in love. I could not be held responsible for desire. He could not be held at all. Um, yeah. Ouch. I wonder where he is now. If he looked up. He might see, line break, me, Sejura, a sparkling. Now, and that could be the two sparklings emerging from a pond in summer, yes. a water, or up in space. Right. Floating <laughs> over this boy in Indiana. Again, I'm sorry. He's now a star. Yeah. <laughs> right? He's literally a star. Yeah. Um, a physical body in space that we gaze up to, not knowing what it is, not being able to see it fully that we only see the light that his body reflects, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, me, a sparkling. I always hoped that when I died, I would know why. My brother will be so sad. Mm. He will tell his daughter I was better than I was, <sighs> right? And, and, and you're like, oh, he has such a clear perspective of himself from where he's sitting. Or floating. Floating out in space. Sorry, you're right. Floating. Quite explicitly, we were told that. So he will tell his daughter I was better than I was. He will leave out my cruel drunk nights. And I love that that is one word. I cruel know. Cruel drunk. Cruel drunk is great. Mm, we all know that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's my father. That's been... I, no, I've had the occasional cruel drunk. Are you? Yeah. Usually you're pretty sweet when you're drunk. And, uh, and then I, I fade into maudlin. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. How wonderful is that? <laughs> I don't miss it. Moving right along. <laughs> the wet mattresses. Yeah, that's honest. Yeah, that's very honest and gross. Honesty does take some grossness. But unlike, I mean, I, are, at some point, are we going to do a juxtaposition between him and, and Bukowski? Because let's... <laughs> no, because Bukowski's terrible. Well, I know, but Bukowski would show what a rev... Like, he would show honesty as like, look how brave I am for talking about pissing myself in my sleep from drinking too much... Whereas this person is wearing it like a self-admonishment, like, self -admonishment, like uh, let's, let's be honest about this. Right. I'm going to be told that I was, people are going to say I was a good person. I did some not good things. Right. Or things I'm not proud of, I should say. Yes, exactly. Um, and then. And then my, my driving, driving alone, alone. Into. Into cornfields. Unsure <sighs> whether I drive out. Why are you sighing? <laughs> is, is somebody who has been a. I recognize that line. Do you? Have you driven drunk into a cornfield? Not a cornfield. Well, you know, you, I did, don't think I'm you far did get a DUI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And I did not deserve it, too. That's another story. But uh, okay. You know, actually, I was owed big time. And right. when it finally hit me, I'm like, really? This? This is how I get caught? This? Right. Yeah. <sighs> My driving alone into cornfields, unsure whether I drive out. Now, obviously, one doesn't just drive into cornfields. <laughs> you know, but there's an abandon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hook that hard right turn into mm -hmm. this. Right. And let's just see where this goes. Right. 
And that let's see where this goes means more than where am I going to come out if I'm going to come out. Yeah. Or even if you should be driving in the first place. Well, that's obviously a no. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he were here now. Mm. He could be here. This cave is big enough for everyone. Look at all the diamonds. That is where I was. There's got to be, I'm sure the Germans don't, but maybe the French do have a term for, I don't know what is going on, where I am, but, oh, this is wonderful. Ah, because he's he's just referring to space as a oh, cave. Oh, this cave, okay. right? This huge black cave is big enough for everyone. It's infinite. Yeah. Look at all the diamonds. Okay. Right. I was taking that so literally. I was like, "What is? Is he popped into geodes? What is? What is he talking mm. about? Is, is it? Is it the then mica flakes? Oh yeah, in the stone." Yeah, um, which is but perfect. You're, course, you, but you go, no, you were correct. Like he's back in space. What I'm saying, it, your your imagining of that is also a perfect. Um, like you you slightly refocus that, and it looks like stars in space. Right. Right. This sort of twinkling um, into the blackness of it. But yeah, I mean, I I love I love that. I wish he were here now. He's he's alone, mm-hmm. right? Look at all the diamonds. And there's a sense now because we have have gone through and there's this reference to me, a sparkling, that all of those diamonds are bodies that light is being reflected off Mm. of. And in this particular case, the body is the alcoholic floating in space. Yeah. Right? Um, That somehow he's blinked out and into this blackness into this vacuum and is, I assume, dead. <laughs> I mean, seeing yourself uh, from afar, being able to see the earth and your life and who you loved and who loved you and who would say something good and who would see you truly, right? That this particular moment is him looking at earth and his life and then thinking about the vacuum of space and how it it can hold everyone, everyone he knows. And this reminded me of the line from Dennis Johnson, Jesus' son, oh. towards the end. Because he's he's not, he himself is not in recovery, but he's working with all those folks who need help. Mm-hmm. He says, and all these weirdos and me getting a little bit better every day right in their midst. I could just see him floating. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, here well, we are, all these diamonds, we're all a horrible mess. <laughs> Well, there's there's something about because at this particular moment, I I think that there's some true imagining happening here. Um, that there's more imagining than than metaphor. It's kind of uh, the myth of the self in mm. some ways. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to draw our attention to the fact that um, this is a portrait, mm-hmm. right? So there are certain philosophical implications of 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 a self portrait which is what this ultimately is. Yeah. Um and I'm thinking a little bit of uh the visual arts where instead of getting an outside perspective representing the person the way that the that that outside artist sees them, the artist is giving a visual representation of how they see themselves. Mm-hmm. And traditionally of course this was used with paintings and mirrors and you know you have artists like Frida Kahlo who did mm. it almost exclusively. But this idea of self-representation and how one sees you is 
at work in two different layers in the poem. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the first is in the different gaze between us as readers and the speaker. The speaker sees himself and is representing himself to us, mm-hmm. right? And there's a kind of honesty there. Yes. There's this like, my life is done. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm, I'm floating outside, in space or I'm outside of myself <laughs> mm-hmm. right oh. this is how I see it and and so there's a there's a kind of honesty and intimacy in in this conversation in this sort of monologue if you mm-hmm. want to think of it that way um the other is between the speaker and the brother we get this idea of perspective again toward the end of the piece my brother will be so sad he will tell his daughter I was better than I was mm. right there's a kind of radical self-honesty happening in this poem that could not happen earlier in the sequence of portrait poems. Okay, in the sequence of the, the book. book. Okay. Yeah, that this one is really nicely placed because there is this sense of disconnection uh, and perspective on um, the sort of former self's behavior in some ways. Mm-hmm. But it leads me to a question about the poem, um, which is there's this self that's floating out in space. Yeah. And the way that he's imagining it, the way that he's portraying it here, is this a kind of hope, like a literal death wish for the speaker at this time? Or is it a metaphorical representation of how he feels cut off from the rest of the world or from the people on earth or from his former self? And I'm not I'm not exactly sure. And it could be something else, obviously. But those are the two sort of readings that come immediate to, immediately to mind. If if I come up to you and I say, I feel like I'm floating in space. Uh-huh. That's the way I see myself. I feel like I'm floating in space, looking back at my life. This is what I see. Mm-hmm. Is this poem a kind of ghost of self speaking? Or is this, is this poem a desire poem? Is this like, I wish that I was there already. Is this a kind of of fantasy to be able to float out there? Or is this a kind of despair of feeling like, like he's cut off? Or is this, or or do I have to put some kind of emotionality to it? Well, I'm, and weirdly, because I thought you were going to say a, a, um, a form of death wish a mm-hmm. i am done i'm yeah, now detached did. and i've moved on right you started to and you and you, you that wasn't your lists um it's one of the options okay <laughs> but the last the last line the second half or what, what second half last line i don't what do, you, what do you call now the sejura kind of breaks even a single line so it's everything on a line so the very last okay so lines the, of the, then the last line no the last line okay the the last the last five words look at all these diamonds is the hopefulness of it yeah that tells me it eradicates death wish it eradicates so much it's somebody going oh this is beautiful this is beautiful we are messed up i well okay there's many things that we are from a distance yeah (laughs) wow no more we can't we can't pay we cannot pay those royalties do not sing any more of that (laughs) <laughs> Though I love Bette Midler. <laughs> no, that's terrible. But it, it's the last part. It's an honest assessment and reflection 
and it's difficult to come to an honest self-reflection, but it's optimistic. Yeah. You don't end something. I guess maybe if you're on your deathbed and you can have some beautiful observation, but I, I, I just take this as hopeful. I take this as good. I take this as somebody who's coming out of this. I love that you've drawn your attention to the ending image mm-hmm. as a kind of, because we've gone through all of this, all of these reminiscences, mm-hmm. right? Um, some of which, none of which are necessarily bad, although there's a hint at, you know, some truly self-destructive behavior. Right. But look at all the diamonds. Um, feels almost neutral to me. Neutral. This, this is, this is, this, I know that this is strange. Uh, I mean, one of the things I love about this collection is how emotional it is. Okay, you know what? I'm going to have to, uh, over, over the Christmas break. <laughs> You're going to read a book I'm, of poems? <laughs> it's happened. It has happened. <laughs> <clears throat> I like the subject matter. Right. Um, and, and anything about a, a concerted attempt at self-destruction always has my attention. But it's not about a concerted attempt at self-destruction. All of that happens before the book begins. Right. But it's somebody reflecting on that. And that's right. what's better. Yes. Other than that, you get some Jim Morrison kind of crap. Sorry. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> you get glorification of self-destruction, which I'm not a fan of anymore. No. Um, yeah. But I do like people who have gone through that and have reflected on it. You get awesomeness like Nick Cave and other things that I enjoy. What we have, what you've shown me mm-hmm. of this author. Um, You're excited by. I, I do want to read this when we get the chance over Christmas break for yeah. me to read a book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel like Look at All the Diamonds is this, um, it's kind of this moment of the mathematical sublime. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Right. Like that, that instead of thinking back to all these specifics about his life or about particular people, there's this gaze toward the infinite Mm -hmm. and the way that we fit in to the infinite. I love you. (laughs) I love you too. And the way we fit into the infinite, which is in this case to be, um, almost, um, almost to become it. Mm-hmm. Literally to become it, actually, because the math. The, okay, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, the philosophy of the the Kantian sublime, so um, w- w- with the what Kantian, Kant. Oh, Kant. Okay, sorry, I thought it was a. Um, okay, yes, Kant. Okay, Kantian sublime. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought I thought it was like like Constantine. I thought you were slurring oh, that. Uh, no, okay, no, Kantian. No, no. Okay. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, the idea is, you know, you're going through your regular life mm-hmm. and um, everything's normal. And then it, you come across something um, that is too large or too powerful or too grand for you to be able to comprehend all in one taking. And that's that moment when you're like walking through the clearing of a forest and you come to the edge of a cliff. Right. And the cliff is like so deeply down or you walk out onto the ocean, uh, onto the the shore of an ocean and you see how very, very large it is. Or you go outside at night and you look up at the stars and you have that sort of like total breath in. Of, and, and there's a sort of moment of confusion, mm-hmm. as, as Kant uh, says, Um, He says that the pleasure in the sense of the sublime, of being taken by the sublime, is the moment right after that where you begin to create language in order to explain it. Mm. You can say, 
I feel even the statement I feel confused is an empowering statement because you are then naming the thing that you feel Mm -hmm. right or that or, or to say something like the stars are infinite. I feel so small and insignificant. Um, but I disagree with him that that is the pleasurable part where you put language to it. For me, the pleasurable part is to be in that breath, oh. to be in the <sighs> like the moment of confusion, to not to be so overwhelmed by my senses and the sense of something grand okay. that I don't have words for it yet. You know, when you're just standing there going like, ah, <laughs> I would say Hold on. You actually said, I flew out to meet you. Um, and okay. It was, it was a debacle, but in Idaho, you were driving back from Salt Lake city or you were coming from Salt Lake city. Yes. You were moving from Salt Lake city from Salt Lake to live with me. Yes. Um, briefly. Um, and I met you in Boise. Yes. At the airport. Right. Uh, and it was much delayed. Anyways, but we were driving back. It was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And and we were driving th- into the, the Columbia gorge, gorge. And you said the American sublime. I said, and yeah. Okay. I was, Go ahead. Well, I was on the phone with somebody. I was on the phone with my friend Bobby in, in Austin, Texas. We were talking about something and you were patting my leg saying, you know, we're coming. We're coming. This is going to be it. And I was, I was having two conversations and then we came into the gorge and then there was this awesome majesty. And I mean awesome and majesty in the old sense of the word. Yeah. To where I told Bobby, I have to hang up and I'll call you later. Right. Jaw dropping. Jaw dropping. And you said, this is what I mean by American sublime. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was just this, this gorgeousness of. Oh, you know, these these towering mountains that have been carved by this river that is snaking around these huge canyons and gore. Yeah, it's just it's it's like so and the gorgeous. Air was crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Everything is just somehow allowed for this moment. But literally we came around a bend. Yes. And there was this openness. Right. Um, so that's I mean, that's the sublime. Like when you find yourself, I mean, it, it, you have to be at a in a moment. You have to be in safety. Oh, I completely forgot about that aspect. Okay. It's like you can find the eruption of a volcano sublime. Right. At a remove. At a safe distance. If you're just standing right there, it's terrible. Yeah. Right. Like if you're standing on the edge of a cliff, you have that like sort of vertigo that you feel and there's a little bit of fear and you see the large drop, but you're not, you're not in really any danger Mm. unless somebody's going to push you off. Right. Um, to be too near to that large or vast or dangerous thing is just terrible. Right. To to experience the sublime, you have to have a remove from mm. the thing that you are looking at, which is why art forms are so effective mm. for creating a feeling of the sublime in someone um, because you can show them something terrible or grand or great. Grotesque uh, or whatever, or but safely. Safely. Yeah. Right. Um, but here, I'm wondering how that's working here. Like, there's, it, is the safety that's that's being displayed here? Is it the remove of being completely done with your life? Oh. Is it the life that's that's dangerous and the self that's not? Or 
um, are you know that he's he's reviewing his old mistakes yeah, previous, from a safe distance. Yeah, he's removed from the old life. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And not inside the confusion, and has the language to talk about it. Yeah. Right. Um, so perhaps uh, that's what's happening in this particular moment. But I love the look at all the diamonds and having it stop there. Yeah. And just go, and it feels like it just drops into silence. And it, it's almost inviting us to look up. Right. Right? To look at that field of stars, to consider that they are all the complicated lives <laughs> that have been rolled into these pinpoints of light. Mm-hmm. That they are bodies taken out of context in some ways. Yeah. The look at look at all the diamonds. It, you're right. It does feel like there's a gesture toward like get some perspective. Yeah. You know, from where I'm sitting, right? Like, what does what does a war look like when you're on the moon looking back? Like, really? Right. That. Yeah. You'll die for that. Yeah. Or you'll kill for that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I love this as the beginning of the third section of this book. Uh, well, this was the start of the third section. Yes. Okay. So um, it, I'm, it is I'm inviting so you. This. Yeah, it's inviting you. To take take a deeper, a deeper or broader perspective, and I think you know. I mean, one of the other reasons why I am so drawn to this book, you know, some of them are really obvious personal reasons. I mean, addiction hasn't hasn't been a part of my own life story, except for my well, father's mm. addiction and alcoholism, and how it completely wrecked my childhood. And as far as I know, he's still an alcoholic. I haven't spoken to him. For a very long time. Man, don't need to. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. But but the subject of addiction always reminds me of um, the first lines of a poem by Jack Spicer. I don't know. And the, the first lines are, any fool can get into an ocean. <laughs> <laughs> but it takes a goddess to get out of one. Oh. What's true of oceans is true, of course. Of labyrinths and palms. Um, it it, it wow. goes on. It's a beautiful poem, um, but I, I I think of it. I think of it often. I think partly because I, I have so many close friends who are, um, you know, recovered alcoholics and or addicts. Mm. And when I think of those people, I'm always filled with such awe and gratitude. I always have nothing but respect for anybody who is strong enough to find their way out of the ocean. What I love about addicts, mm-hmm. those who survive, yeah. is that they have an awareness yeah. and a self-awareness. This awareness comes from them not trusting themselves. Mm-hmm. They're constantly monitoring themselves. And that means that they're honest with themselves. And you can have some astounding conversations with somebody who is honest with themselves. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's actually one of the main reasons why I tend to be drawn to people um, who have had this um, experience mm-hmm. in life. Is that, I used to think it was because they had a big experience, but not, it's not it. Somebody who owns up to their own shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and that's always, it's always a quality that I deeply appreciate in, in people that I love. <laughs> um, real quick. Uh huh. Now, knowing that I have multiple gaming groups yeah. that I game with, mm-hmm. I'd like to dedicate this to the one that is comprised of addicts yes you guys rock 
<laughs> and this is why I love hanging out with you guys. I love it when you hang out with them. You yeah. always come back in a wonderful mood. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, over the Christmas break, I will be reading this book. That sounds wonderful. Um, okay, and before we roll out, um, you want me to have, read that poem one uh, more time? We'll need you to do that one more time. Uh, <clears> if you <throat> want to read along with Danielle, go to our website, uh, VitaReadings.com, click on the show notes, and you can find the stuff there for printout. Portrait of the Alcoholic Floating in Space with Severed Umbilicus by Kavi Akbar. In Fort Wayne, I drank the seniors, Old Milwaukee, Old Crow. In Indianapolis, I stopped. Now I regret every drink I never took. All around, coffee grounds and eggshells, the sweating, a mouthful of lime. As a boy, I stole a mint green bra from a laundromat. I took it home to try on while my parents slept, filled its cups with the smallest turnips in our pantry. The underwire grew into me like a strangler fig. My blood roiled then as now. Back on earth, frog spit is dripping down wild aloe spikes. Salmon are bullying their way upstream. There is a pond I leapt into once with a lonely blonde boy. When we scampered out, one of us was in love. I could not be held responsible for desire. He could not be held at all. I wonder where he is now. If he looked up, he might see me, a sparkling. I always hoped that when I died, I would know why. My brother will be so sad. He will tell his daughter I was better than I was. He will leave out my cruel drunk nights, the wet mattresses, my driving alone into cornfields, unsure whether I'd drive out. I wish he were here now. He could be here. This cave is big enough for everyone. Look at all the diamonds. See, that is so superior to Bukowski. <laughs> even comparing them well, because as a kid and you know as a as a kid who romanticized drinking right i was reading bukowski in the eighth grade oh really yeah the, the punk influence we talked about uh, several episodes ago he, the other thing he introduced me to was bukowski so i thought it was revolutionary like this guy he speaks the truth <sighs> <laughs> this is this is a much superior <laughs> and truth. better truth this is a clean this is a <laughs> this well, is just a better truth all the way around. Well, this is also art. <laughs> I yeah, I'm not a huge Bukowski fan. Well, yeah. and neither am I now that I. Well, it took me a long time to not be. Yeah. Um, man, 
hey, kids, read this instead. <laughs> Don't say that. It makes it sound ancient. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, kids who are 12. <laughs> That's when I was reading Bukowski, thinking he was awesome. We're just going to go around to 12-year-olds and give them calling a wolf a wolf. Yeah. Yes. It's much better than giving them the Bible or Bukowski. Does a lot less damage. Says the guy who was probably reading the Bible and Bukowski as well. Outro. Outro. Okay. Let's get to our outro. Our theme music is by Status Q. We have links on our homepage for you to subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. You can also subscribe through the Google Play Store. Our show notes have their own tab on our website. There you can find a copy of the work we discussed, a link to purchase the work, the author information, or anything else we thought might be relevant. If you have a comment, suggestion, correction, or anything, send us a message by using our contact page. If you want to hear Danielle read some of her work, click on the Vanity Press tab on our website. Okay, so I think we need to have some herbal tea for our throats. Yes. Uh, throat coat. Throat coat. Is that, is that a thing? Yeah, that's what it's called. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's let's censor that until they pay us to say that. <laughs> I'm dubious as anybody's going to pay us for Nobody's anything. Nobody's going to pay us for anything. We do. <laughs> our payment is our wonderful uh, hour we get alone in our basement. <laughs> <laughs> Having a conversation about literature. Okay, so let's wrap it up. Let's let's relax. Let's take a week off and uh, convalesce. Yes. And the rest of you, have a good night. Yeah, good night. Take care of yourselves. have a fight <laughs> it'll it'll really bring the ratings oh up yeah as if we had ratings <laughs> who, who would be giving us the ratings okay i have <clears throat> phlegm rapidly building up terrific let's talk about that okay <laughs> <clears throat> welcome to vita readings live from the basement this is danielle this is max i'm an author and professor